With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No Block, No Rock, episode 20. Michael, what's Javi's got for us this week? Javi's Tacos. Like usual, they have two locations uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska. One in Lakeside Plaza, the other on 180th and Q Street. If you haven't been to Javi's, you'll give it a try. This week, I want to tell you about their new breakfast tacos. It stems off of my favorite item on the menu, the breakfast burrito. Uh, You get your chorizo, your potatoes, and your cheese, and you get to choose your salsa. So if you haven't been to Javi's, you'll give it a try. We told you guys last week that we would deliver on a strictly baseball-centric episode of the podcast. We delivered. Yes, we did. Bolt Ball is in full action. We got... Assistant coach Danny Marcuso to join us to talk about the past season, talking about himself, what the future might look like for Nebraska baseball. Without further ado, let's go to the interview. Assistant baseball coach Danny Marcuso joins us on the No Block No Rock podcast. Mr. Marcuso, coach, it's a pleasure to have you and thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome here tonight. Appreciate it. Mike? Hit us with that first question, brother. All right. So you are an Omaha native, right? All right. We'll just start off. This is normally it's a, this is a Nebraska football podcast, but we could not pass up an opportunity to interview tonight. So what we want to know is, did you grow up since you are from Omaha? Did you grow up a Nebraska football fan? Huge football fan. I, I have no professional allegiances. Don't cheer for anybody else. My team is Husker football. All right. See now. Now we're on the same level of playing field here. Okay, so he's been through the same struggles as all of us. Now, okay, so now that you say that, uh, now that you are the assistant baseball coach here at Nebraska, did it mean more taking this opportunity, this job, uh, than leaving what your alma mater, right? Or in Coffeyville? Absolutely. To, I graduated to come here? from Coffeyville, played two years there, went to Western Illinois after. Um, wasn't good enough to play baseball at Nebraska, but it's it's a dream come true. Living out the Husker dream every single day. Going to work at Haymarket Park, um, going over to the Alex Gordon facility, it, it's pretty damn cool when I come in and see Memorial Stadium, drive in to work every single day. Heck yeah. Um, so, just kind of piggybacking off that, you are a Millard West grad. If we look at the other coaches, we got Jeff Christie, who's obviously a Husker alum, former catcher, Harvell, coached at Texarkana with Bolt. Mm-hmm. So, how did you come to connect with Coach Bolt in that actually get on this staff well that's that's the funny thing I'm I'm the only person that coach Bolt hired to his staff that he didn't know previously coming into this mm-hmm. so Jeff Christie and me spent one year together at the University of Central Oklahoma he was the pitching coach there I was getting my master's I was the grad assistant there um, we spent a lot of time together I was in charge of the infielders he was in charge of the pitchers yeah, and just the connection continued even after he took the job as the volunteer at Texas A&M. Um, he got the job here. I reached out, said that I had interest, sat down with Will, Jeff, and Lance. Um, day later, Will called me, and the rest is history. Love it. Okay. 
And, you know, the volunteer assistant role, which is your role, it's an NCAA Cup college baseball. It's an unpaid gig. So why did you decide to leave, you know, a paid coaching job where you can, you know, like work with the players and positions and come back home? No, it was a, it was a super simple decision to be made. I mean, this was a foot in the door for Division One baseball. This was a chance to be around a lot of people that I idolized and, and wanted to work with and wanted to learn from um, and to coach at a Power 5 school as well, too. Um, I'm able to supplement some of my income being the camp coordinator as well, too. Um, my wife is from Omaha as well, too. So to me, it was just a no-brainer. Like okay. Some things change in the recruiting coordinator role. I'm not able to go out on the road. Um, but the rest of it was just an absolute no-brainer to come here and take the job. So since you this is an unpaid job as far as assistant coaching part goes do you have another like do you have another job on the side is this what you do full-time like how, how do you manage you know manage that well it's funny the question comes up today because it's been about 550 days since i've made any money oh my god so today <laughs> i got paid we were able to have two camps we were able to have two traveling camps um, we had one in North Platte, and we had one in Alma, Nebraska. And Renee, our secretary, who also helps me with the Nebraska Baseball Academy, she wrote me a check today. The last thing I did before I came over here was I went and put it in my bank account. And my wife was very thankful because she's been carrying the family. She's a real estate agent between Lincoln and Nebraska. Um, she works for Berkshire Hathaway. She absolutely crushed it during the pandemic. If it wasn't for her... I would have probably been like a lot of other volunteer coaches um, who had to get out of the game. So again, I went 550 days without making a dollar when it comes to baseball. And I still put in all the same amount of time. I just wasn't able to put on the camps. Um, but my wife was an absolute stud keeping us going, told me, keep chasing the dream. We've sacrificed so much. Um, so yeah, that's funny. You guys asked that question today because I cashed my first check in a long time. Oh, that's. Awesome. <laughs> I was gonna say like we we obviously don't know you, but you have a very positive disposition today. Yes. Yeah. So how could you not? You got extra pep in his step. He's ready. How could you not? So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, so let's go into this season. This this team was a very special team. Um, you guys made a, a special run. What I want to know is, can you define what? Bolt ball means to you. Like, what is it compared to other teams, other things, other staffs you worked on? What is bolt ball? Yeah, it's it's, it's really simple. It's just show up every single day. Like it's not every other day. It's not when it's convenient. It's not when you feel good. It's show up every single day, and you better be prepared, and you better be ready to make the play when it comes your way. I mean, the standard is extremely high with bolt ball. Um, He's extremely easy to work for if you bring your best effort every day. And he's not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to never fail. Um, we don't ask the team that one bit. Um, but you better be on point when you show up to work, and the players better be on point. The standard better be very high every single day. So flipping the page to football a little bit, uh, Scott Frost had a mantra that was no fear of failure. Would you guys say you kind of live to a similar way of, of, of how you guys do things? Yeah. Yes and no. Um I think we seek out failure. I think that's kind of one of the things that our staff does quite a bit. If you ever get to show up to a practice, just come watch a team defense. I mean, we'll do first and third plays. We'll do bump plays. We'll do runners at first and second. We'll throw situations out there. We'll have cuts and relays. 
and you are gonna fail. Like it is seeked out and it's gonna happen and the game is gonna get sped up and we're gonna put the clock on. We're gonna do the same thing on the offensive side as well too. The machines are gonna be turned up to 100 miles, equivalent to 100 miles an hour. You're gonna see the nastiest breaking ball you've ever seen. Um, and it's gonna slow the game down for you because if we're practicing at 130% and then the game's only 100%, we're hoping it slows down. If we're practicing defense at four seconds every single day, and then they have a 4-4 runner, you don't have to do anything you haven't done all year. So we kind of seek out that failure, and then we also hold them accountable to it as well too. While we're having them fail, and we're doing this as well too, we like to think that the culture promotes a fun way of discipline as well too. It's like Coach Harvell, it, it's so much fun to watch with the outfielders. If you drop a ball in the outfield, no one's gonna yell at you. No one's going to say anything. They're just going to put their hand up in the air with a big five, and you're going to drop down, and you're going to do five push-ups, and everybody's <laughs> going to give you a hard time right there. But nobody's going to yell at you. It's just this, you didn't uphold the standard. You didn't catch the ball right there. Drop down and give five push-ups. It's okay to fail. We're asking you to do hard things that you're going to fail at, but it's not okay to fail either. It's like you've got to drop down. you got to do your five push-ups. It's the same thing that I ask the infielders to do. It's like some days we touch the furthest fence. Some days we do five burpees. And we laugh when it's going on. It's like nobody's yelling at them. Nobody's doing that. We've, we've seeked out the failure. We've made it extremely hard within the drill. But you still have to do it. It's not just okay to go do it and not get it right. It's, it's amazing how many times those guys go touch the fence or they come back and their focus level goes up at a whole different level. So guys do. I mean, I'll tell you, some of our younger guys, when they show up, they're used to being the best. They're used to being told how great they are over and over again. And we build them up every chance we get, but it's also, we're not sitting there impressed by the talent. It's like, you have to be able to make that play. You have to be able to do this, or you gotta pay the piper right there. And so there is a fear of failure, I think, at times within our group, especially with some of the younger guys when they're learning to go, well, now I'm thinking about doing burpees, or now I'm thinking about doing pushups, and then I still gotta make the play, or I'm tired because I've gone and touched the fence, and the next ball is gonna be extremely competitive, that finds me, and I have a little bit of doubt but I don't want to go do it again, so I'm going to make this play, and then I'm going to be done with it, and they gain that confidence, and then you see it just become a habit over and over and over again, and they don't know what to do besides do what they've done every single day in practice, and it shows up in the game, and it shows up in the biggest moments as well, too. So that's what's been fun with this year. This group took on that culture of we're not going to complain of this. We're going to make it fun. We're going to tease when somebody's doing the five push-ups, and, and they turn it around on us coaches, too. It was really funny if Coach Arbell dropped a ball. They'd let him know five. <laughs> I missed a ball in the middle of the game as well, too. I'm over there as the first base coach, and it hits my hand, and there's guys in the dugout yelling across the field going, you owe us five burpees, Coach Marcuso. We'll let you get them in the dugout when you get back here. You know, Coach Bolt will stand there in the middle of the – Coach Bolt will stand there in the middle of the outfield um, watching BP, and someone will hit a line drive at him, and his goal is to not move one bit. And if he moves, everybody lets him know he moves. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a fun culture in there, but it's like, again, bolt ball. It's show up. The standard's the same every day. Bring your best. Be at your best. The standard's high. Do it. Yeah. Do you think all those the, like drills and the, and the fear of failure in a way is kind of why the the product on the field at times is just so like crisp and all the fundamentals are so good? I think it's why guys didn't get sped up when we were at Arkansas as well, too. It's like you got 11,000 people there who are against you. They said 11,000. There was probably 14, 15. Right. But it's one of those things. It's like everybody's yelling, and it's like Jackson Hallmark's going, bring it on. My teammates have made fun of me every time I've messed up this year. You can't say anything they haven't to me. And, you know, that's a little bit of the fun in the entire thing. And it's like 
you see that with the fundamentals and we talk about it. It's like, you don't, you know, when, when the pressure hits, you revert back to your habits. You don't rise to the occasion. You revert back to your training. And our guys just continue to revert back to the training, revert back to the training. And again, we're practicing at four seconds. The machine's turned up really high on them. We've asked them to do hard things all year. Just be your habits. The thing that stands out to me personally about football was I would watch games and there was an identity. Like it, you can tell that there is a direction that you're trying to go. Does it always work? No. In baseball, you fail more than you succeed, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the Hall of Famers will tell you, I failed more than I succeeded. Mm -hmm. But just compared with other sports here at Nebraska, it just seems like there's a identity and a direction that this is all going. And I think that's why a lot of baseball fans have hope for the future. So, well, we sit down every day um, and, and, and there's a very clearly defined plan for practice. There's a very clearly defined plan for recruiting. Um, but we're still talking one year in this whole thing as well, too. I mean, you know, we we had a very good year. Now, where do we go from there? And it's like, but I, I, I'm very confident as where it's going just because there's a clearly defined plan when it comes to practice. There's a clearly defined plan when it comes to recruiting. There's a clearly defined plan when it comes to the way you go about your business on every single day, the standards are laid out from day one, where we want to go is laid out. It's communicated to the people as well too. So yeah, that's what I think is most exciting in this whole entire thing. And that's, again, that's your habits right there. And you're hoping it builds over time and it compounds and it, and it turns into a little bit. I mean, you know, we're being compared on a big 10 stage and we got to Arkansas and played the number one team, but you want to be Arkansas. That's what you want to be. You don't want to go there and lose the regional. You want to host regionals. You want to do those things. And, and that's going to show up over time. If we keep these good habits, we keep getting good players in here. We keep doing that type of thing. Yeah. So you brought up Arkansas. I, I mean, we weren't going to get through this interview without talking about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a question you don't want to answer. It's okay if you don't want to answer. But if you go into that eighth inning, you know, you, you pulled the pitcher. It looked like the guy came out of the pen. He was looked like he was throwing strikes. He wasn't getting the calls, mm -hmm. in in my humble opinion, mm -hmm. which isn't very humble most times. It's sometimes heavily biased. Strike, but the strike zone got a little tight, but, but the strike zone looked like it was the size of a pea. <laughs> and as a coach, I mean, how what do you do, you know, to to try to keep those guys keep their head in the game? Um, you know, coming off an inning where they they take the lead on you guys late. How do you like in a in a dugout? How do you motivate young men to keep keep going and and try to try to pull it out? I mean, obviously it didn't it didn't work out this time, but you know, go into that game. You know, what did you think about the strike zone? Some of those calls. I think it was it was pretty big throughout the series, in my opinion. You know, that outside corner was getting calls all day, and then kind of just disappeared but I mean what was your opinion on on that game I guess yeah and I, I think I'll say the message to you guys is exactly what we said to the team after after the the series was over it's you know winners win and losers make excuses and and we said do not go there with the umpire one bit do not allow yourself it wasn't one inning it wasn't one call it wasn't one thing I went back and watched the video the night that we got home um, I thought there was one 50 50 call if I'm being you know if I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, I thought when Jake Bunce came in, the first pitch he threw could have gone either way. But I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to blame the umpire. It's like that whole entire game was in front of us. Um, there were opportunities to get it done. And, you know, the guys come in from the eighth inning and 
they hadn't batted an eyelash. They're they're just sitting there. They're going like, you know, hey, we got outs to work with right now. We got three outs to work with. Let's see what can happen because you can't run the clock out in football and basketball and baseball. It's like they had to earn every single out. And, you know, they got all three outs and the season was over after that fact. But I'll say it again, and it's a quote on our practice plan constantly, winners win and losers make excuses. And, and I refuse to go down that path of going, you know, the umpire cost us the regional. There are other plays, there's other at-bats, there's other things in there that could have changed the landscape of that game where the eighth inning wasn't the same situation where it was. We still had three outs to work with. The game wasn't over. We could have still made a comeback as well there too. So I don't think at all that we lost that series or we're losers until we start blaming the circumstances right there. And that's something that we talk about all year long is there's another thing right there. You make excuses right there. There's another punishment on the line with that if you hear an excuse. So I'm not going to go there. Um, I understand the feeling. I've heard it from other people as well, too. You can take it any which way. But, yeah, until you make excuses, until you start blaming other things, it's just that was the way the game turned out right there. Yeah, I love that answer. I love that answer a lot. Okay, let's let's quit looking back at the painful, <laughs> frustrating <laughs> memories. It's all right. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to ask you kind of, you coach infielders. Uh-huh. You've coached at many different places. You've uh-huh. coached at Butler Community College. You've coached at Central Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Coffeeville. Mm-hmm. At each of these places, they all set team records mm-hmm. for their fielding percentage. Mm-hmm. And this past year, Nebraska was in the top 10 mm-hmm. in terms of fielding percentage. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to ask you, what is your philosophy? Because you obviously have a track record. Mm-hmm. This isn't a flash in the pan. I mean, like I said, all those team records, top 10. And you kind of went into a little bit about the drills that you run, but mm-hmm. can you? is there any more nuance in regards to infielders that you try to emphasize on a daily basis? Well, I'd say the, the first thing that's been most important for us doing what we did at all the places is that I haven't played infield defense for any of those teams. Cause if you go back and look at my career or you talk about some of those coaches as well too, I was not a good defender and I would have only brought down the field percent fielding percentage. So I'm going to start there that I haven't caught a single one of those balls for these teams. I've just helped these guys yeah. find it within themselves to do it. And, and it's not only that the fielding percentage, a lot of times it goes back to infield and some of that, but I've been around, a lot of great coaches who have put a lot of emphasis on defense and, and, and those kind of stats build up from an entire team. It's like the outfield has to play good. The catching unit has to be great. The pitchers have to take care of the ball as well too. Um, but just purely on the infield side, I have been nothing but blessed with the infielders that I have been around over my nine years of coaching. It's like you look at the most recent, it's like, Max Anderson falls to us because of the pandemic and works through it and becomes one heck of a third baseman throughout this year. Bryce Matthews is a true freshman out there who's playing second base. Cam Chick takes his defense to the next level this year. Luke Roscombe, who's been a catcher most of his career, played a little third base as a freshman as well too, goes in as an absolute lockdown defender, picking us up on all accords at first base. Jack Style takes his game to the next level and is an absolute ass-kicker of a first baseman, learning a new position as a true freshman. Efri Cervantes literally might have the hardest job in the world. He just comes off the bench when the game is on the line and plays shortstop at an absolutely incredible level. 
Am I forgetting about anyone? Probably the best one of them all. Spencer Schwellenbach only made four errors this entire year. It's like that guy makes us all look pretty good right there. <laughs> and that guy's pitching, I mean, has a rocket of an arm, as competitive as all can be. And, and, and I can go back at Coffeyville. I can go back to UCO. I can go back to Butler. And it's like I've been blessed with guys that are like that, that are competitive. And I just try to create an environment that's extremely competitive. And, and I don't do everything the same now that I did back in the day. Um, but it's always kind of been the same feeling is we're going to get out there and we're going to try to be the toughest group that we can possibly be. And we're going to be competitive and we're going to have guts and we're going to have focus. And again, we're going to be disciplined because I think that's what it comes down to more than anything. It's like you can get caught in all the fundamentals and do all that what you want. But I think the best thing that we do here at Nebraska is one of our managers put together a chart. And literally we have three different managers between John, Mitch, and Dan, and then also our player development guy, they're on an app every single day, and they're keeping track of every single play that our infielders get in practice so that we can rank them at the end of the day, and they can see where they sit on the day. And I think that just keeps the competitive juices flowing as well, too. It's like Spencer Schwellenbach is head above heels above everybody. I mean, it's it's a special, special talent to be able to stand there with him every single day, have the stopwatch, watch his body move, watch him make incredible plays. But if Spencer Schwellenbach sees himself in the middle of the chart one day, guess where his competitive juices flow? He's mad. He's taking that. He's talking about <laughs> it the next day. Guys are giving him a hard time that they beat him. It's like it raises the competition level for Spencer Schwellenbach as opposed to if he doesn't see that, He's sitting there going, well, I had, didn't have my best day, but, you know, I'm not compared to anybody. So I just think that brings it every single day. And I think it was the same thing with a guy like Efry, where he literally told us at the end of his meeting this year before he we went out to Summer Bowl, he's like, I was always looking at that chart. And he was like, I was taking every single rep like it was the ninth inning because I knew that was my job throughout the year. And it's like I felt prepared for it. And he's like, I never wanted to finish second on the chart. He's like, I was always striving to be first. And we'd rack it up for the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the semester, and we'd send it out. And whether they were looking at it or not, it's like we were always trying to get the competitive juices flowing and compare them to their peers so that you just got their best effort because that's all we're asking for. So You mentioned uh, Jack Style. Is it true that he came here as a shortstop? He did come here as a shortstop. A lot of high school um, guys, it's like we try to go out and we try to recruit good athletes and great overall players. Where's the best athlete play in high school? Usually shortstop, center field, pitcher, catcher, somewhere up the middle. So Jack was a guy that played shortstop. Bryce was a guy that played shortstop. Max was a guy that played shortstop. And then they kind of spread out and, you know, you find what works within your team and what works for that year. And obviously we could trust Spencer to do it. But next year somebody's going to have to fill that role and we're going to bring other high school shortstops in. Um, those guys are going to have a chance to compete for shortstop, but you know we're trying to get the best athletes and the best players, and that's usually where they play at in high school. So you're kind of talking about recruiting a little bit right now. So this kind of brings me to my next question. I fell right into this. What type of players need to be recruited for this system? Is there like a particular like do you guys just go out and recruit a bunch of shortstops because they're the best players on their team? Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a particular type of player that works better in bolt ball? Yeah, I think. Obviously, the talent's what gets you the foot in the door. It's like that's that's the first thing is you have to have the talent to play at Nebraska. You have to be a guy that can play at a high level in the Big Ten, that can play on a national stage, that can hold your own when it comes to just purely talent because you have to go out talent teams at times. You're not going to play your best game of baseball every single time. 
Um, from there, once we get the talent, then the real evaluation starts. What kind of a competitor are they? What kind of character do they have? How adaptable are they? You know, all those type of things. How competitive are they? Like those, those are the things that we're constantly asking high school coaches or asking club ball coaches or asking anybody who can give us a reference on these guys. And we're trying to get as much background information as possible. What kind of toughness do they have? Are they always injured? There's a physical toughness type of thing. If they're always injured, they're probably going to be injured when they get here as well, too. How mentally tough are they when they're going up against somebody that's their equal or better than them? How mentally tough are they? Do they fold under those situations? Do they only beat up on the guys that they're better than? So those are the things we're trying to watch, we're trying to evaluate, um, and we're trying to make sure that they fit into what we do. Because, again, I'll go back to it. We ask them to fail a lot. We ask really hard things to them. If they're used to being catered to, if they're used to being a prima donna, it's probably not going to work out over time because we're not going to let up on the standard. So we go through that checklist and we're constantly asking all those character type things. And if they check off the boxes along with the talent, they fit into ball. They okay. fit into Nebraska baseball. That's awesome. And touching on that as well, is there, do you like when you guys as a staff are doing recruiting, do you guys look local first or are you guys, you guys look anywhere and everywhere? I mean, do you, is there any like extra drive to look for guys here or is it, does not matter if you're in Uzbekistan, we're going to go get you, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. I'd say it starts with dominating your home state. Yeah. I think we've made that a, a very good, a very big point since we've been here is, is the best players in Nebraska and you don't want to go to Nebraska. Yep. Like they... They grew up Husker fans. We need to make sure that we're able to evaluate their talent and character, make sure that they're a fit, and then we have to do everything we can to get them here. So it starts with getting those best players and getting them here. Obviously, there's a big junior college group as well, too, where mm-hmm. guys from Nebraska may not be ready to play at Nebraska right away. And that's, you know, in the Van Horn days here, that's what happened. They might have been just a little light in one area. They might have needed a little bit more experience. They went off to a junior college for a year, and then we need to get those guys back. It's like you look at Griffin Everett. He's behind our backstop the entire year. He's a guy that went off to a junior college, is a Nebraska kid that had the Nebraska dream, and then he comes back and he's just huge for us, hits one of the biggest home runs of the year when he's cramping, full body cramping. Like That guy would die for the end on his chest. So it starts with getting those guys because then those guys can make sure that the guys that come from out of state and come from all over the place that don't have as much ties in Nebraska understand how important Nebraska is and how you have to go about your business and how the whole state rallies around every single little bit of it. So that to, to, to us, it just, it starts with dominating the state of Nebraska. It starts with those guys that go off to junior college that are Nebraska kids coming back. And then from there, we're going to fill in the gaps because it's, you know, you'd like to put together a full team from just the state of Nebraska. If you can, we will. Um, but if there's gaps to fill, Obviously, the transfer portal is a whole different beast this year. You have junior colleges. You have all those type of avenues that you can go get, guys. I don't. We we have a connection in Canada as well, too, where we've started to get some high school players as well that, that Coach Bolt goes way back with. So there's an international route as well, too. But, but again, it, it starts with our backyard, and then from there we can fill the gaps. Um, I want to ask about Bolt because – you know, he did coach at A&M, and does he make a special point to target Texas as well? Because I know Bryce is from there. Mm-hmm. So would you say Texas is another area that you emphasize, or is it kind of like a – I don't want to say you get lucky with a player, 
But do you do you make it an emphasis to go to Texas because he's got ties there? You know, we we all have our different ties, um, and Coach Harvell and Coach Bolt are mm-hmm. very much embedded down in down in South Texas. I mean, down in that area, I mean, they know everybody. They've been getting players from the state of Texas for a long time. People respect him, and they're going to give him calls. And and I think they still had Bryce Matthews on their list, and he was a guy that played three sports and didn't just play baseball all year long. And they said, you know what, let's give him a call. Let's see what his plans are. I know Coach Harvell was recruiting him to Sam Houston State. Coach Bolton, the staff at A&M, were recruiting him a little bit at A&M. They had him there for a camp. Mm-hmm. And they just said, you know what, we got the job here. Let's check in with him. The rest is history. Boom. Ends up, you know, you, you, you go, man, that kid's probably going to stay in the state of Texas. And he ends up coming here and being a huge part of what we do and just – I mean, just on all cylinders, that kid's an absolute stud. Played through injuries throughout the year. And then, you know, there's going to be more connections that come from Texas. They know all the junior college guys down there. They know a ton of the high school coaches. People are going to call them about players just because of the respect they have for those two. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure there will be more Texas kids that come through here. they got to be the right ones. Okay. So, uh... Now, enough about, about all the external stuff. Let's get to the roster. <laughs> enough of the BS. Give us uh, a player who maybe was a surprise this year, performed a little better than you guys expected. And then it could be the same thing, one player who was the, the most improved or a little overlooked in your team's success. Oh, God. That's a, that's a heck of a question right there. Luke Roscombe's the first name that comes to my mind of a guy who just absolutely overachieved this year and just took his game to the next level. He's been a guy that's been in the program. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, he, he's he been here. He shouldn't have been here. The COVID, the COVID, the pandemic, all that, it gave him one extra year, and he needed that one extra year of maturity. He was a guy who's always put in the work. He's always kind of tinkered with the swing and tried to figure out, you know, exactly trying to be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. And this year he just got into his routine, sold out to the approach in the big part of the yard, and was one of the more feared hitters in the Big Ten because of it and was first team all conference because of it. And our success hindered on him doing what he did this year. He was as consistent as could be. He was able to protect Spencer Schwellenbach. He was able to be another guy that took some pressure off Max Anderson as a freshman. He was an absolute joy to be around this year. He matured tremendously. And because of it, we went to the places we did because he could be a he could be a power bat in the middle of the order that was consistent as well too. Well, we saw that in the regional. That freaking mammoth shot. That was. Um, Woo! That was. He's been. He's been hitting a lot of home runs this year to left center and driving the ball to the big part of the yard. And he was allowed to get the head out on that one. And <laughs> that was very special. That one was like he hit it. And it's like you can admire that one as that, long as you want, dude. It was very sad. It was so satisfying. Yes, I wish it would have gone over their player development thing in right field, but it hit the very top of it, and it was okay. it was special. That was a great swing right there, and he had a special season. And he uh, he wants to play professional. He he loves the game of baseball. He wants to play as long as possible. He got a chance with the Grand Junction Rockies. Him and Chance Roach went to go play some independent ball while waiting for the draft to help improve their draft stock. And he went two for two with two home runs and two walks his first game. And we were just fired up for that kid. He needed one more year to mature, um, and he did it this year. And what an absolute stud. Is Shwelly the best pro prospect from the school since Gordo? Time will tell. 
Time will tell with all that. I mean, you got to think there's names that have come through there, like Java Chamberlain. You see what Aaron Bummer's doing yep. as well, too. Yeah, Bummer. Um, all the time. I mean, Jake Myers is on an absolute – I mean, I can't wait for – I mean, he comes back around. He works out with our guys. Um, he helps us with some of the sports science stuff, <laughs> going and getting all his data in the computer for us so we can learn from it. He is tearing it up right now. Dunsane's another guy who's had a heck of a pro career, but the Spencer's on that track right now. I mean, it's it, it's pretty special what he did this year because you got to think playing shortstop and hitting took away from how good of a pitcher he could be. Yeah, pitching took away from how good of a hitter and shortstop he could be too. I mean, that guy is absolutely abusing his body for the team every single weekend. And honestly, having no midweek games was probably the best thing for us this year because it allowed us to help make sure that he recovered and he was at his best and we were able to hit the reset button. And every single week we were able to get him all the way right. If he's closing out midweek games or he's playing shortstop there, who knows if his body makes it through the whole entire way. But, I mean, he's he works so hard and he spends so much time in the training room. It would be hard for me to believe that he wouldn't have got through it even if it's midweek games. But he was able to do it at such a high level because – I mean, he was able to recover, but who knows where his pro prospect could go as well, too, just because when he starts focusing on one or the other, and, and maybe they'll give him a shot like Otani's doing. Yeah, who knows? Way. I mean, there's, there's guys that are out there doing it. It'll be fun to watch with the next 10 years because he's going to be a guy we watch on TV for a long time because his competitiveness level is off the charts, his want to win, his character, his drive. Um, he, he was a special one to be around every day. Thing. Do you think that he's going to be more of a relief or a closing type pitcher or a starting pitcher? Well, hard to tell. We've you know we've heard all the different things. We've heard you know hey just focus on being a starting pitcher. We've heard come in and be a shortstop and a relief pitcher like you did in college. We've heard go play shortstop for as long as you can. Once that's done, you have pitching to fall back on. Those things are going to work their way out. Yep. And and obviously he's going to. He's going to work with his agent, and he's going to work with the big league clubs, and they're going to figure out what the best track is for him. Um, if he asks for any advice, we're going to help him however we can. But we'd all love to have those problems, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great problem he's to have. He's got a great right? problem to have that he can do multiple things. I know a lot of people wish they could just do one or the other, and he's doing both. So he's on a great track, and he, he's got a special, special future ahead of him. Heck yeah. Okay. And for my next question, and Roskin. Hopefully Roscoe's not the answer because maybe we can uh, talk about another player. But when you guys came to Nebraska as a staff, mm -hmm. was there any player from the previous regime, the Erstad regime, where they were kind of set in their ways and maybe you suggested that they do something different in their approach or become this type of player? And maybe they were a little headstrong about it but eventually came around I'm going to speak to the other side of that, if you don't mind. And I'm going Please to bring do. up Jackson Hallmark. Okay. We came in and we were like, he swings a little bit uphill for being the fastest guy in the Big Ten. We're worried that he's always trying to hit home runs. We're going to ask him to hit the ball on the ground. We're going to ask him to bunt. We're going to ask him to do these things. And, you know, they came in. And, and not that it was a completely different staff, because Will and Jeff worked with Erstad for those years as well, too. So there was some... There was some carryover from the type of people that Erstad was looking for and Will was looking for. But, you know, Jackson's kind of had, he had already had a two years in college before we had got there. And then we're asking him to do something different. We're asking him to buy into our offensive philosophy. 
We brought him from the outfield to the infield as well, too, which he did a little bit of both for Erstad, and we're asking him to play second base that first year. And he just took it all in stride. He just said, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. He had a broken hand his first fall. Every single at-bat, he went up there, and he bunted, and he ran down the line as hard as he could. He did exactly what was asked of him. It was the best thing for his career at that point. And then going into his senior year after the pandemic-shortened year, it's like, hey, with what we have, I know you played some second base this fall. We know you did this, but our team's better if you play center field. Yeah, no problem. And he just went in and did it without batting an eye, and he just – you know, he bunted, and he ended up leading the team in home runs. I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, but we asked him to be above the ball. We asked him to use his speed, and he did that all year. And just, you know, timing and pitch selection allowed him to hit 10 home runs this year. And the guy was an absolute stud. So I think there were some worries coming into that, as there always is with a with a whole new group. But as a whole, especially with all the guys that are still here, I mean, they just bought into us and bought into the philosophy, and that's why we were able to have success so early. And I'll say, in terms of Jackson Hallmark, I think, personally, when I look back on this season, I think he's the one that exemplifies bolt ball the most to me because, like you said, he's putting pressure on the defense with his speed. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, he played a solid center field, yep. you know, and he had that power as well. If he ever needed to tap into it, I mean, again, he hit a home run in the regional as well. And, so. and he was the heartbeat of our team. It's like we all saw the little gift interview of him that said don't care don't care yeah. it's like how beautiful right. is that right there it's That's like true. you know hey your body hurts or hey we had a long bus trip or hey i don't feel like going about don't care it's like and you know i'm sure the joke came somewhere in the year from one of us coaches saying it and they just took it on and yeah. you know but but it was true that was that was the philosophy that jackson would help trickle down to the team and it helped trickle down to the younger guys and it's like no matter how you feel today we don't care because the standard's the same and, you know, he, he was such a great leader and such a great captain. And, I mean, it's one of those things as well, too. He's just an absolute stud. And the uh, second part of my question here, uh, is there a player who has just kind of overlooked senior team success? I mean, obviously everybody knows the Spencers, the Maxes. And is there a player who just kind of was a bit of a, a, bit of a heartbeat and just uh, was overlooked in team success? Yeah, yeah, no-brainer, no-brainer. Um, Joe Acker, and I don't know if overlooks the right word because the guy hit leadoff for us all year and played right field every single day, but he's a guy we thought might split time. We didn't know if his knees were going to hold up throughout the entire year. Um, just his personality in general is just so awesome, too. He's a quiet leader who will pull the guys aside and, and be there for him, especially the younger guys, and... <laughs> just such an old soul with everything. I mean, it's just, he's he's an absolute stud of a human, um, brought energy when it was needed, brought toughness when it needed, and just brought a consistency to the team every single day. He's a guy who, you know, you look at the transfer portal having over 1,500 people in there. Joe Acker's a perfect candidate after his first two years to just go run and hide in the transfer portal and go somewhere else and try to get an opportunity. And he's a Wisconsin kid, so he doesn't have any allegiances to Nebraska. And he just stays and just guts it out. Ends up staying one extra year. He debated if he was going to stay for that fifth year or if he was going to go get his career started. He's going to be successful in everything he does. And he's just a quiet captain leader who's just an absolute stud. And I hope that guy never gets forgotten about. And He just was a special, special person to this group this year of making sure that 
every single day. The highs and lows never got one way or the other. Um, and he was also a hell of a performer this year as well, too. I mean, whenever you needed a big at-bat to start a game or whenever you needed a big hit or you needed someone to take a walk, wear a pitch, make a play in right field, that dude was as consistent as could be. So when you when you took the job here and joined the staff, did you when you saw the roster up close, did, was there any indication that you could do what you guys did this year? We felt like we knew what we had this year. Okay. Like we spent a lot of time during the pandemic shortened year um, making sure we still met as a staff. It was like we met in odd places. We met on the golf course, we'd meet at people's houses, we'd meet wherever we could to make sure that we talked, we the FaceTime, all the time, Zoom, whatever we had to do, we were constantly talking about the roster and we were trying to get it um, exactly where we wanted it. And we felt like when we got Chance Roach and we got Max Anderson, it was like those were two big pieces right there that came in and kind of changed the landscape of things. It's like you're talking about a frontline starter who is an All-American in Chance Roach and then you're talking about a guy who ends up being the freshman of the year in Max Anderson. And I'm not sure if anyone would have said that at the beginning of the year, but if you would have said it, I don't think anyone was going to argue with you yeah. either. Right. So it's like those two guys were huge. And then you filled some pieces with Cody Frank as well, too. He came in from a junior college and had been a performer. Um, those were those were just huge things that happened during the summer. Cam Wynn was a guy that came in, was a Nebraska kid, um, transferred from Texas A&M, had already had ties with Coach Bolt. He said yes as well, too. I mean, that bolstered what we were doing out of the bullpen, and he was a guy who had been a little scattergun throughout his career, and he came in and honed it and was nails for us every single time. He was in a big spot. So we knew what we had. We never thought we were going to be sixth, but it's still fun to look back at the end of the year and be like, that was a quick rise. That was a fun group that we thought could do it, and not only did we think it, but we actually ended up going and doing it. Yeah, you know, and you kind of talked about the Big Ten and and what you had. The big competition, obviously, was Indiana-Michigan, and at the end of the year, Maryland kind of overtook Indiana as the big competition. uh, Did the players, you know, seeing all that, like, sixth, or was that kind of, like, on the wall, like, in a way, or was it kind of... It was acknowledged. We we made, but it was also kind of like a... Don't care. I mean, that's what it came back to as well, too. It's like if you're worried about the opinions of other people, you're automatically worried about the wrong things. So it was acknowledged and it was there. Um, I still think going into the year as well, too, there was some questions about the Big Ten. I tried to ask Coach Bolt and Coach Christie as much as possible and say, hey, tell me about the Big Ten. You guys have been a part of it. You've gone through a year. What do I need to know about where we're going? What do we need to know about the coaches that we're going up against? What kind of talent do they have? How do they play? What's going to win? What's going to lose? How do we need to be on point? And then the Big Ten was at a complete different level this year as well, too, because you think of a shortened draft last year. You think of COVID transfers. You think of all those things. It's like you're facing Sunday guys who are still 92 to 93 at times with good secondary stuff. It's like Rutgers when they came to our place. It's like they have a sacred heart transfer with the last name Teller who's just blowing our doors off. And you're thinking on a Sunday, it's like you're going to get a little bit of a break and it's going to be a more offensive game. And the same thing I'm sure could be said about us. It's like we end up having Cade Povich, who steps into a huge role and is huge for us on Friday nights. And then instead of going Shea Shanneman on Saturdays, 
you have a proven guy in Chance Roach as an All-American, and that allows us to push Shea back one more day, and he's pitching on Sundays. He's throwing 92 to 93 with good stuff, and that's got to be tough for the other guys as well too. So we were trying to figure out the Big Ten on the fly this year as well since we didn't get it in the pandemic short year. Um, and the, the Big Ten was at a very high level, and we were glad that we could do what we did in this year. My last part of the question, that uh, was there any frustrations on how the, the Big Ten like handled the season? And secondly, uh, well, what do you think the Big Ten has to do to get respect on the national level? Yeah, and I'll, I'll just take the, the other side of that as well, too, is, you know, again, we have no control over the Big Ten. It's like our baseball program has nothing to do with it. All we can do is solve the problems as they're given to us. And that's what we tried to do this year. And we looked at it as, you know, hey, there was a lot of things that maybe if we were in charge, we would have done them differently, but we're not in charge. So we're not going to waste any time, effort, or energy on trying to complain about it. And I think that resonated with our team as well, too. It said, you know, here's the thing. We're going to be playing these pods. We're going to be playing these weekend series. We're not allowed to have any midweek games. And you know what? We solved the problem the best we could and won the Big Ten this year. And obviously, there's going to have to be some things done. I think I think one of the things that's important right off the bat is you watch some of the games televised on Big Ten Plus. It's like there's just a different standard for every single one of them. So I think if you want to grow the game, that's one thing right there that could easily be taken on right off the bat. And then from there, it's just be good. It's like you look at Michigan. They were one game away from winning the College World Series. There you go. You're on a national stage right there. Go get there. It's like we were one game away from winning the regional against the number one team. Win those games, start being teams that host regionals, and then the Big Ten's going to be thought about. Money's going to be put into it. There's going to be more national recognition. If you want to, if you want it to happen, you have to be good. You can't just ask for it to happen. So if we want to be on that stage, we're going to have to do those things. And, and the only thing we can control is Nebraska baseball. And our goal next year is going to be the same as it was this year. Host a regional, go to a super regional, go to a college world series, win it from there. Well, and that's what we're going to try to control. Yeah. Well, and speaking, I'm going to, I'm going to let out some frustration and we won't, <laughs> we won't cut any of this, but like, I did buy BTN Plus because I wanted to watch baseball. Mm -hmm. And here I am watching a freaking feed from Michigan State or Penn State mm -hmm. where a freaking rain droplet is covering the camera. Mm -hmm. And I can't see which pixel is ours. And I can't see where the baseball is. And it's just like, it's so clear that, it, or on the regular channel on the Big Ten, you got a significant baseball game on. And you're playing a throwback game from, you know, 1996 or whatever. And it's like... Look, I know the Big Ten is football-oriented. I get it. But there's a reason why other conferences look at Big Ten baseball and they're like, Psh, because their own conference does it. And it's just, I'm not expecting you to say anything, but mm -hmm. that's just how I feel about it, mm -hmm. and it's very frustrating. Absolutely. And I understand <laughs> frustration, and I just, you know, I get there as well, too. Um, but I always go back to two years ago, I was coaching at Coffeeville Community College and some of the places that we play – they would have a one-camera feed that had no audio and no game score on it. Some places it was just on Game Changer. Some places had some stuff. So I try to keep that in perspective for me as well, too, um, that, hey, it could, you know, someone's always had it worse and complained a little less. So that's what hey. I try to keep going to with it. Hey, you know, <laughs> humble beginning. He, he knows where he came from, and he's happy where he's at. Absolutely. I'm All right. thrilled to be a Husker every day. All right. Absolutely. Jared, you want to want to send our last question? Yes, and, sir. And I think this will kind of put a nice little bow on this. Okay. Um, so, obviously, Coach Bolt is in a – 
He's in the so-called catbird seat right now. He's kind of in a position where he he might be a little demanding. He's in an advantageous position. He met with uh, AD Bill Moose, you know, to talk about where to take this program. What do we do? Uh, hopefully, he'll get a nice little raise, you know. So maybe you're privy to these conversations. Mm-hmm. What is Coach Bolt asking for from Bill Moose? And if it was you in that spot, if you were Coach Bolt, what would you be asking for for helping this program move forward and be where they're at right now, which is the top of the Big Ten, taking Arkansas to the wire? What are you asking for as a Nebraska baseball coach? Yeah, and I'm not going to speak to that. I'll I'll just say I am the volunteer assistant. I'm not trying to do anyone else's job. I'm not trying to get in the conversations of the big guys at Nebraska. Um, but the one thing I think that we have discussed as a staff um, is is we don't want to be compared to the Big Ten. The, the 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 stage we're looking at is a national stage, and it was very very enlightening would be the, probably the word of going to Arkansas. And I've been there. I've seen the facilities before in the last couple years, but I'd never seen the atmosphere the way it is. Right. And it's intimidating and it's an advantage. Um, and their facilities are, are top notch. And so I think we're, we're starting to look at it as, and we're starting to talk about it as a staff of, we don't want to be compared to the Big Ten. We don't, that, that, that isn't, we want to be on a national stage and we want to be able to recruit on a national stage and we want to be able to win on a national stage. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a job to do and we're not trying to do anybody else's job. Um, whatever we're given, whatever changes over this year, whatever doesn't change, our job's to win baseball games. It's to get the best recruits we can. It's to be at our absolute competitive best over and over again. And we think we've put ourselves a little bit on that stage. So whatever comes, we're going to do exactly what we did last year. We're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to learn from our successes. And we're going to go from there. And we're going to, you know, hopefully we'll have midweek games this year. And we'll go do what we did again in the Big Ten. And then we'll host. And then from there, you hope that you have a little bit of a competitive advantage because you're sleeping in your own bed. And then from there, who knows what happens. But those are the positions we want to put ourselves in. Whatever happens over the next year, two years, five years, ten years, you know, I'll let those things be dealt with between Bill Moose and, and Will Bolt and stay out of that, and I'll just be the best infield coach I can be every single day, <laughs> the best camp coordinator, the best husband, all those type of go. things. You know, those yeah. those are the things right there that I'm going to try to control. But I will say, we want to be we want to be on a national stage. That's our goal. That's what we tell our recruits. We want to host regionals. It starts there. We want. The CWS to be a sea of red. We want it to be a home field advantage like it was in 2005. We want it to be like it was in the Van Horn days when Will Bolt was catching the final out, sending them to the World Series. Those are the things. But whatever happens, happens. We're still going to do our jobs exactly the same. Coach Marcuso, we want to thank you for not only reigniting the fan base for the sport of baseball in the state of Nebraska, but we want to thank you for joining the NBNR podcast it was a ple- absolute pleasure. We loved it. Hopefully you did too. You guys are awesome. I, yeah. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it like we did. So NBNR appreciates today Marcuso coming on the podcast to give us some enlightening perspective on the baseball team and just kind of his philosophy and the direction that it's going. Thanks again for joining us, Danny, and uh, for you guys 
out there listening to us, join us on our Twitter page, follow us, like us, retweet us, at NBNR Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we're on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Give us a listen. Give us a five-star review. It helps us out. Get more listeners. Um, to sign off, this is Jared Hall. Mike Delaware. Eric Morrow. And as always, Bolt Era and GBR. <laughs>